When we say, how many people do you serve or how many widgets do you give away or whatever that is, in many cases, we need to understand how many people do you serve well? You know, what is the optimal amount of things that you can do before your impact begins to fade? It's what we do in the for-profit sector all the time. But for some reason, we take that logic and we throw it out the window when we think about creating impact with our giving. And so what Slingshot is really interested in, and Ed, I know you have been for years, is asking the right questions, tracking the right information to ensure that what we are doing is accomplishing what we're setting out to accomplish in the first place. Welcome to the Journey to Impact podcast, where we show you how to turn your unique passion into a strategy to change the world. Today, we've got a bonus episode for you. Ed sits down with Justin Miller, the CEO of Slingshot Memphis, which works with nonprofit organizations that are focused on fighting poverty. Slingshot takes a data-driven approach to increasing the impact of these nonprofits. Justin explains how significant a feedback loop is for measuring and improving your impact. Whether you're a nonprofit or you're funding impact efforts, asking the right questions and evaluating the data will help you make decisions that can increase your return on investment. It's time to get off the bench. Let's do this. Here's your host, Ed Gillentine. Well, I'm thrilled to have my good friend Justin Miller joining us today. So, Justin, welcome. Thanks. So glad to be here. We're thrilled to have you. And and I was thinking before this interview. I'm not really sure how we were. We we met originally. Um, we had a lot of connection points in Memphis because we've been here so long. But I think it was Lauren Wilson Young that introduced us of Sweet Lala's cookie fame, and Lauren has done just tremendous amounts in the impact philanthropic community in Memphis. And then I think maybe we had you speak to our clients shortly thereafter. That's right. That's right. Um, and the idea was, I think Justin and I share a lot of the same uh, interests and passions, and he's such a good communicator that I wanted him to talk to our clients about how they could have more effective impact. And so after that, we've just uh, maintained a, a close relationship. And so um, the more I'm around Justin, the more stoked I get about making impact, the more committed I get as well. And uh, and I'll go ahead and throw him under the bus. I also get just sort of in awe of how smart he is. So no pressure, Justin. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll just, uh, we'll, we'll put you to the test today. Let me take a few seconds to just give you a little bit of Justin's background. And then we're just going to dive right in because I want you to hear as much from Justin as you can today. He's got a degree in history from the University of Memphis. He also has a Master's of Divinity from Emory. And that's been sort of a neat thing to have those conversations about the intersection of faith and works and faith and money and faith and wealth. And, and I think a lot of that will come out today. He's also been the Dean of Students at St. George's here in Memphis, one of our finest schools here in town. He's counseled, he's coached, he's taught, I guess, just about anything you can do in education, right? That's right. He's been a giving strategist, um, and in 2016, he joined Slingshot Memphis. He's written a bunch of articles. He's been interviewed all over. You can even watch his TED Talk from earlier this year on fighting poverty. And I would say most importantly, he's been married to the love of his life for 18 years, and he has two beautiful children that call him Daddy. Did I miss anything important? I think you knocked it out. That's perfect. <laughs> Good deal. Well, we're going to cut to the chase. And in the book, Journey to Impact, there's a chapter on your impact sweet spot. And sort of the idea is that your unique passions, skills, and experiences come together to create your impact sweet spot. So I'm going to steal some terminology from David Epstein's book, Range, which if you hadn't read that, folks, I would... I would highly recommend it. But you've had a really wide and varied path of experiences, education, professional fields that don't, on the face of it, 
maybe seem connected to what you're doing at Slingshot. So why don't you kick us off with sort of the cliff note version of how you got to where you are? How do you how did you get to your sweet spot? Again, Ed, I'm really grateful to be here, and it's it's fun to think about our mutual friend and Lauren connecting us. And if memory serves, you know, I was presenting to her and her family and others around my vision for what Memphis might look like with a, a feedback loop, which we'll talk about later. And she immediately said, you need to connect with Ed. And to your point, we've hit it off ever since. So I'm honored to be here and and, and have this conversation. So you're right. A lot of people say, you know, your your resume is pretty eclectic. It's a varied career. How does it all make sense? And I'll just give you a few examples about how all of those experiences have dovetailed into what is currently Slingshot Memphis. So yes, I went to seminary, not to be a pastor or a preacher, but to be an educator, which you mentioned I did for several years here. And I really enjoyed that work. I came to this proverbial crossroads where I was either going to be ahead of a school or do something different. A lot of research time, interest, prayer, uh, conversations with my better half, Gina, decided to take a calculated risk and become a fixed income broker. And in that world, I was helping money managers, municipalities, banks, credit unions manage their capital. Both St. George's Independent School and most of what I did at the tail end of that career was help run uh, an elementary campus serving under-resourced students and their families. And then fast forward to my job helping people manage large investment portfolios, radically different cultures, but the same skill sets, right? The exact same uh, recipe for success was needed, and that is quite simply work hard, listen, adapt, uh, problem solve, and do your work with rigor and do it with grace. And so I feel like all of those experiences, listening to students and their families, helping money managers optimize their resources, helping banks and credit unions understand that a dollar invested better today is well worth more than a dollar invested well 10 years from now. My my point is that... Um, the work that I do now at Slingshot um, is a, um, a combination of the lived experiences I have had and the skill sets I have acquired over the years, um, and I'm excited to talk more about that with you today. That's awesome. Well done on the uh, cliff note version. I know that's hard. So you and I have talked a lot about insanity in this sense that insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. So how do you see that in the world of philanthropy? Well, I would say that in many cases, and this is not a judgment upon any stakeholder within the world of philanthropy, whether it be a nonprofit, whether it be a government entity, or whether it be a funder, whether that funders a faith community, an individual, an investor, a family, or even a private foundation or a corporation, the system itself is, is very broken. Uh, and by that, I mean there's no feedback loop. So Memphis is a prime example. Memphis is, uh, by most accounts, one of the most generous areas in the country. Um, we are arguably one of the most generous cities in America by way of how much resources we deploy per capita. At the same time, we are quite literally one of the most impoverished MSAs in the United States. Yep. And I'll go ahead and, and tell you what is behind Slingshot. It is a feedback loop, right? It is our ability to narrow the scope of investment opportunities. And in this case, I'm talking about nonprofits that fight poverty 
And in our area, there are thousands of nonprofits that are fighting poverty. And it's upon us to understand which of those have the evidence or the potential to create the most change. Why is that important? It's important because the thousands of nonprofits are all fighting for limited resources. This is not sustainable, nor is it effective for our under-resourced neighbors. Secondly, the donor community typically spreads it around like peanut butter. And so Slingshot is building a feedback loop, identifying which of those investments has the most impact. And once we identify them, we invest more capital and help them get even better. So back to your question around insanity, we often are trying to create impact without a data-driven platform that allows us to course correct, that allows us to validate what's working, and in some cases, stop doing it if it's not. That makes a lot of sense. I recently read an article, uh, and I think the title was Horse Manure and Grant Making. How are they similar? And I would encourage you to to go to Google and find the article. I want to say it was written in 2002. I just came across it. But to our listeners, go ahead and Google because it's fascinating. But I think the point was we focused for years on the wrong side of the horse. And so this this author was um, making the analogy that the money was the manure, but the benefit of the horse, you get to ride it, it, it does work, it has a life. We've totally ignored that part. And so I, I'm, I think I'm making a connection to what you're talking about, where it feels like to me for years, the focus has always been on how much money did you give? And then for the nonprofit, how much did you spend per unit of whatever you're trying to help? Does that make sense? It makes total sense. It actually jogs a, a, a couple of memories. One is I was having a conversation. Matter of fact, it was a uh, a small interview I did on TV early on when Slingshot was getting off the ground. And the uh, the gentleman who was interviewing me had this aha moment. Now, this gentleman, his name is Maxie Dunham. Dr. Dunham was the head pastor at Christ United Methodist Church for years and years. He was actually there when I was a young, young man growing up here. And he said something pretty profound, and I wish more of us bought into this. He said, you know... There are seasons, and in many cases, we need to give good funerals to good ministries. And what he meant by that is this, and if there's nothing else that uh, you listeners take from today, I I want you to think about this. We have limited resources, all of us, especially relative to the challenges Uh, that our world faces, and poverty is one of those. And therefore, it is extremely important. We are called to be extremely good stewards of the resources we have available. We cannot spread it around like peanut butter. The manure analogy works really well. In many cases, funders are asking the wrong questions. And I'll give you an example. When we say, back to your point around outputs, when we say, how many people do you serve or how many widgets do you give away or whatever that is, in many cases, we need to understand how many people do you serve well? You know, what is the optimal amount of things that you can do before your impact begins to fade? It's what we do in the for-profit sector all the time. But for some reason, we take that logic and we throw it out the window when we think about creating impact with our giving. And so what Slingshot is really interested in, and Ed, I know you have been for years, is asking the right questions 
tracking the right information to ensure that what we are doing is accomplishing what we're setting out to accomplish in the first place. Right. That reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. If you don't ask the right question, it's really hard to get the right answer. Mm. And that sort of leads into my next question, which might be your most challenging of the interview. In as simple a terms possible, tell us how Slingshot works and what they do. And as a follow-up, just to give you a broad range of, you can go anywhere with this, what are the major categories that Slingshot sees as critical and why? All right. So uh, stop me if I go off on a tangent. I I get excited about sort of a a softball here. I'm going to go. So back to what I referenced earlier, what our city needs desperately, and it is why Slingshot exists, is a feedback loop. A feedback loop to help all of us be better stewards of the resources that we have available. Again, this could be for city government, county government, nonprofits, whether it's a shelter serving women and children, whether it's a food pantry, whether it's a charter school, we want them to be best in class, whether it's a a, a funder, a faith community, the outreach committee of a church, or whether it is the arm of a corporation that is charged with giving back to our city Arming all of these stakeholders with useful, actionable intelligence, helping us accomplish our collective mission even better is paramount for our city to have a fighting chance to turn the corner. It is the only way that we are going to optimize our impact whether that has to do with volunteerism or whether that has to do with writing a check uh, or whether it has to do with feeding someone or providing addiction services to somebody in our community. And so Slingshot is quite literally building out that loop. And in the process of evaluating our nonprofit partner organizations, we are able to estimate the impact that they're having in the lives of the people they serve and unearth growth opportunities for them to get even better over time. So let me talk a little bit about what that looks like. So we do a very in-depth evaluation of these amazing organizations that are willing to be transparent, are willing to course correct if need be. Um, And often they are so excited about doing this because they don't have the bandwidth to do it. Um, So the first thing that we do is benefit cost analysis, which quite simply means what are the benefits that you're creating in the lives of the people that you work alongside relative to the cost it takes to do it. Right. Really important. And I'm going to oversell for a second. Slingshot in Memphis is the only platform asking those questions. What are the benefits relative to the cost? Extremely important when you are the most generous city and the most impoverished. And so when we identify the return on impact of an organization, it can be very useful for both the nonprofit and funders. The second dimension is systems level change, meaning what is the impact that an organization is having beyond the people that it directly serves? It's really important that we understand how nonprofits are working within the ecosystem. How are nonprofits avoiding duplicative efforts? Might there be room for consolidation? Might there be room for synergies that might not happen if you are not leveraging another nonprofit and so on? We are able to rank where an organization falls on that spectrum and, equally important, help that organization get even better. Thirdly, we are looking at best practices. Now, this one, I naively thought, Ed, that most nonprofits— 
were aware of best practices in their field and were following those best practices with fidelity. And let me go ahead and tell you, this is not a judgment upon the nonprofit sector again. It's really an indictment of the donor community that hasn't paid for it. But nonetheless, most nonprofits, not all, but most aren't aware of best practices in their field, and most are not following them with fidelity. And I'm talking about evidence-based interventions that we know work, that have been studied and tracked by way of randomized control trial or longitudinal study. And so what Slingshot does is we are able to look at where an organization ranks in best practices and help them get even better. And last but not least is measurement infrastructure, um, which is quite simply helping organizations ask the right questions, track the right data points to make better decisions over time. We're also able to rank where they fall on that spectrum, help them get even better. You also asked about our portfolio. And so what we do is we take a very holistic approach to fighting poverty. Um, And so there are four buckets that we use to diversify our portfolio of nonprofits. One is education. The other is jobs and economic security. The other is early childhood and youth. And last is stabilization. And the reason we take a really holistic approach is it's necessary. For us to build out this feedback loop, we have got to have a really good understanding of what is working and what is not across every potential program or intervention in our city. Many foundations will put their flag in the ground on education which is great. We need high-quality education to give our under-resourced neighbors a fighting chance to get out of poverty. But let me go ahead and tell you what most people already know. If you're providing high-quality education to a child and the teachers are best in class and they have excellent curriculum, but their parents don't have a job, they're not making a livable wage, the child is hungry, and they have to move every three months, we're missing the forest for the trees. So Slingshot has taken a very strategic angle at looking at what is working, what could be made better across the whole poverty-fighting ecosystem. Let me ask you sort of a question, and then you, you get back on track if this knocks you off. But when you think about going to these nonprofits and saying, we want to help you, we want to help you ask the right questions, and we want to help you figure out what you're doing right and what you're not doing so well, that's got to to arouse some level of fear. Um, what's What's been the response? Yeah, all right. Well, I'm going to answer this excellent question And I want to do so in a way that also goes back and grabs that definition of insanity. When I got into this work full-time, if you will, um, I thought that most of the growth opportunities would, of course, be in the nonprofit sector. The people that are feeding our neighbors, the people that are clothing and providing shelter or education or job training. And trust me, just like Slingshot, just like in my own personal life, there are a lot of growth opportunities. There are a lot of ways to get better. You know, there are a tremendous amount of inefficiencies and so on. But let me tell you what I've learned, and I believe this with all of my heart. It is the funding community that has the most growth opportunities. That's fascinating. And it starts with the question that you just asked. I believe that the nonprofit sector in aggregate, all right, I'm going to generalize here, but the nonprofit sector, people that have dedicated their life to doing this stuff, they want to know if it's working or not. Right. They will shut it down faster than a funder. They are willing to be transparent. Is it easy? Absolutely not. This is tough. You dedicate your life to something and you recognize one day that maybe you are not best in class or maybe that you're 
ROI is literally negative. But I will tell you firsthand that the donor community is driving this ship. And when you go to the funding community, who often has the biggest egos, and you say, hey, I want to evaluate your work, or I want to evaluate your investments, there are so many people that don't want to know what, the, what they've been funding hasn't had the impact they thought it did. I bet. You have a lot of people, a lot of funders who pick winners for a living. They avoid transparency way faster than our nonprofit sector. Again, I'm generalizing. Trust me, there is a growing movement of people that want to know. Slingshot has raised $8.5 million in a really short period of time because businesses and foundations and nonprofits are excited about being transparent. And I but can, I wanted to uh, answer your question. Yeah. I apologize. I want to answer the question. It is a good question. There are some nonprofits in my experience. It is scary. It's fearful. But most want to know and they want to course correct. If the funding community got on board, it would be a game changer. Let's let's chase that rabbit down a little bit because I, I think it's important. I can affirm that there is a growing core of funders that are buying into this paradigm shift. And it is a huge paradigm shift. Um, but when I think of in Journey to Impact, one of the warning signs is beware of the rich know-it-all, right? We've all met a wealthy person that gives a half a million dollars to an organization and all of a sudden, they're experts on art or they're experts on early childhood development, those types of people. And I wonder how much of that drives that negative ROI, right? If you've got one family or one foundation that's very influential, say, in a given city, and they're 80% of your funding and their pet project you know doesn't work, but if you push back, where's your where's your funding gonna go? Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. Do you see some of that um, in in your discussions with nonprofits asking them about their donor base? Yeah, I, I'll answer that in a few different ways. The answer is unresoundingly yes, um, and I like the the idea and the reality. Um, of you calling out the wealthy, resourced know-it-all because it happens all day, every day. And as it relates to pet projects, it often happens like this. Hey, we want you to jump through these hoops and we may or may not give you money. And if we do, we're going to give you just enough money to come back to us on bended knee the next year. Oh, and by the way, we really like this. Can you do this? And of course... These nonprofits have to play this dance of deceit. And I'm interested personally and professionally in, in blowing it up. A good example here, Ed, of how the, the know-it-all often performs one function in her or his daily life and then changes course when they put on their philanthropic hat. And that is this. A lot of organizations, by way of, I should say, funders, will say, well, what do you spend on marketing? You know, And we want to celebrate nonprofits that don't spend a thing on raising awareness and capital, which is asinine. If a nonprofit is spending $75,000 a year on raising awareness and capital, and they are able to secure a million dollars in revenue to do their job better, we might even say spend more. Absolutely. It's an example of how we're asking the wrong questions, and the know-it-all funders are leading the charge. And so I in a more humble posture, will say there really is, to your point, a growing movement of people that want to get it right. right. How much impact is being had in the lives of the people 100%. being served? And that's, man, if we get that right in Memphis, it will change this ecosystem. I think it changes the rest of the country, too, because there's so many 
funders that look to Memphians to see what we're doing? Mm. This may be an impossible question to ask, and I need to think about how to, to phrase it. So I think about a nonprofit, maybe, that wants to do what's right, and they want to bring Slingshot in and have them ask the right questions but they've put maybe four or five years into this project. They really believe this is going to work, and they've talked several major funders into supporting it, and they've got 10 years' worth of funding, and you guys come in and say, hey, guess what, nonprofit? We did the research, and this is not the best way. If and this is, I think this is where I was going with the question, Justin. If the nonprofit was confident enough in the donor, in the funder, that they knew that no matter how much work, how much pride, how much whatever had gone into this idea, that if it was wrong, and they went back to the funder and said, hey, instead of throwing good money after bad, we want to call a timeout and revisit what Slingshot has said empirically is not working. If they had that confidence, what do you think that does to the impact of the Memphis nonprofit ecosystem? Gosh, I mean, that's what we're working toward all day, every day. And it's it's interesting in hearing you uh, talk about that. I anchored on two words that are important. You said want somebody or an organization that wants, and the other word you said is believes, an organization that believes. What wasn't in there is execution. There are so many people that are passionate about what they do. They want to make a difference. They believe in making a difference, but they might not be able to execute. They might not have the skills and the talents and the experience to follow that blueprint. And so I often talk about both vocation and leadership as this rare combination of both passion, we'll put belief in there too, and execution. And without both of those, um, it, it typically doesn't seem to create the type of return that I think most of us are looking to achieve. That makes a lot of sense. Let me um, zoom out for a second and ask sort of a more personal question. What was one instance that significantly shaped your view of philanthropy and impact that you could share with us? Well, uh, let me think about maybe two examples. Okay. And, and feel Even free better. to pick and choose. But uh, the first example is there's a faith community Um uh, a prominent faith community, if you will. And it, like many faith communities, um, in some cases unknowingly, spends more money on flowers and landscaping than our under-resourced neighbors, uh, fighting poverty, as an example. And as hard as that was to learn, that that is not necessarily the norm, but it's not an anomaly. I've learned that most people don't know that. Most parishioners or, or congregants don't know that that's happening. But when they learn it, they change direction, which is exciting. So most of us aren't being malicious with our lack of impact. Most of us are just gravitating toward that which already exists. We don't ask questions. We assume that the person in charge or the committee is doing what's best on behalf of the community. But when we unearth it, when we talk about it differently, and we're willing to be vulnerable in that way, things change. So that faith community actually has changed its direction. It's funny you say that before you get to your second thing. Um, I tell people I'm a recovering Southern Baptist. And so I remember learning somewhere in college that the Southern Baptist Convention, sort of the mothership, they had a fund for uh, missions and that type of thing that approximately 25 cents on the dollar 
got to the field, yeah. if you will. And I remember thinking, wow, that seems a bit insane. But it's not because anybody was like, man, I'd sure love to burn three quarters of all the dollars coming in on administrative or whatever. Maybe it was mission drift. Maybe it was whatever, ignorance. But I remember that standing yeah. out along with the uh, the flower story that you shared. Yeah, well, that, that resonates with me. I'll actually, uh, before I give you the second example, you know, if if you're a working for a, a business and you're invited to participate in the giving program, you better ask, where's the money going? How does it get there? When does it get there? And how is it being evaluated? Mm-hmm. And if you don't get answers to those questions, you might want to reconsider it. Most of us go through the motions. Inertia is real in philanthropy, and if we are serious about loving our neighbors as ourselves, we're going to step up our game. I'm smiling across the table at Justin because that reminded me of, you know, you, you would think that as we become more intentional and we fund those opportunities that are having impact, that People would get excited about that, but I remember the very first time after my wife and I had really narrowed down, this is what we're going to do, and and you know we do a lot of work in Ethiopia, and so we had narrowed it down to four or five impact organizations, nonprofits, some were um, social entrepreneur opportunities, and somebody asked us to give to their organization. It was a person I knew pretty well. And I said, we'll, we'll go pray about it. And I, I never say that lightly. You know, you, you always run to the people you're like, yeah, sure. You're going to pray for that or pray about that. But so Liz and I did, we went and thought about it and prayed about it. And we just felt like we need to stay focused on our calling on, on our strategy. So I thought I would do what I would want somebody to do and call me back so I called this person back and I said, hey, man, we are stoked about what you guys are doing. It's fantastic. But we believe we need to stay with these commitments that we already have. And it was it was the most awkward silence ever. Never heard from that person again. They were truly, Justin, they were truly offended. Now, I'm sure doing it again, maybe I could figure out a better way to say it, but it's It is not easy, not only to have the paradigm shift, but then to have those tough conversations Mm -hmm. that go with the paradigm shift. So in your TED Talk, which I know I've said this before, but listeners, if you'll just Google Justin Miller Slingshot TED Talk, um, it's 15 minutes or so. It's really worth listening to. But you talk about a woman named Mary that you met. Why was that such a seminal moment for you? Well, I will say, and this is not self-promotion, I do want your listeners to hear the TED Talk. Um, And the delivery is suspect. It it really is. But the content is super important. It's what we're talking about today. It's what you care about. It's what you're helping your clients achieve. And uh, that is asking the right questions. That is taking this work really serious, not because it's intellectually stimulating and it's um, important that we do it. It's because if we do it right, it's going to improve the quality of life for our neighbors. Right. It's going to quite literally change the trajectory of the people that we live alongside. Yeah, it's about the horse. It's not about the manure or the pile of money. It's about the point of what right. we're doing. That's good. That's right. And back to Mary. So in this TED Talk, I talk about this experience where, you know, as a resourced, educated uh, white male, I was asked in a very creative way to meet one of my mentors in life. Her name is Sharon Cash. She runs uh, our city's largest women in shelter for women and and children. And so I show up one day um, thinking I was just going to meet with 
Sharon, and I end up in a room full of women, uh, women that were in the shelter, women that had been trafficked, abused, raped, who had been addicted for a variety of reasons and were trying to get back on track. And I was bamboozled a little bit. Like I was, I was tricked into being present and listening to the stories that they had to tell. And this woman, Mary, at least in my mind, is, is a, a, a metaphor for all of the women, reminded me my responsibility to take this work serious. Uh, she reminded me that I need to listen first and talk second. She reminded me that I need to do everything in my power to ask the right questions and disrupt this dance of deceit that has been happening for a really long time. And she reminded me who was behind all of this work. Because without that, you know, it's all for naught. And so I'm, I'm honored and grateful to have been challenged by Mary and by the clients of Slingshot's growing portfolio of nonprofits who in some beautiful way demand that all of us get better. I love that. And I remember it, it just stuck out to me listening to that TED talk that you said, don't forget who we're fighting for. And you could tell because of the emotion, and I've had that same experience, and maybe that's why it touched me, because in Ethiopia, we fight so hard. I mean, you talk about poverty at an extreme level with street children in Ethiopia, and if I'm being candid, and I suspect you've had these experiences as well, I can think in the last 15 years of at least five times when I've gone to Liz and said, the heck with it. Yeah. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not wasting my time, my money to try to help people when the people there don't care. Yeah. I'm tired of dealing with it. But I have a picture of Sosina in my folder. It's an old school printed photograph. Yeah. I have two of them. I first met her when she was nine. It was random. Somebody chose with this nonprofit for us to support Sosi. Rarely does this happen, but I got to meet her because I was in Ethiopia. Some people say it's random. I think it was of God. And so we got to meet her and help her. And these years we've supported her with school and all these things. But when I want to throw in the towel, I pop that folder open and, and I see Sosi as a nine-year-old and now I see her as an almost an 18-year-old and it reminds me it's not about donor advised funds it's not about uh, arbitraging exchange rates it's not about apples or technology it's about a little girl with a face that has a name she has dreams she has a future and so far, and this is why I think it's a, this is an important conversation, the Marys, the Socinas, they get my butt back on that saddle, and they don't let me give up. Mm. So why is getting it right such a big deal to you? Well, thank you for sharing that story. Um, Thinking about Sasina, thinking about Mary, again, in my own, I'll take off my slingshot hat for a second and speak as, as Justin, in my own faith, in my own uh, vocation, I, I, I'm trying to love my neighbor as myself. And if I take that serious, if I take that literal, and I think we should... I think, and you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, my son, who's 15, my daughter, who's 14, if it were them, what would I be doing? I'd be taking this work way more serious. Right. If it were my son, Sims, or my, my daughter, Miles, if they were Sasina or if they were Mary, I promise you I wouldn't wait 10 years to invest. Mm-hmm. I'd invest now. I would be hell-bent on figuring out the best possible support I could provide my children 
to have the quality of life that they were intended to have. And I think it is that framing. It's one of the reasons I think you have that picture of Sassina close by. It is that framing that allows us to be excellent. And anything short of that, it is easy to check out, especially in the environment we're in now, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that example that you provided me and everyone listening How can we anchor on our neighbors as ourselves, as our own children and moms and stepdads and grandparents? Because that's when it gets interesting. That's when we can't not see what we've seen. That's good. That's powerful. You can't get away from that. So as we wrap up our time, there's three questions I always like to ask interesting people. That's how, actually, you know if I think you're interesting, if I ask you these three questions. So since you made the cut, Justin, I'm going to ask you about one quote, one book, and one person, okay? So this is kind of a little rapid fire to put you on the spot. So if you had one book that you could recommend for our listeners today, what would it be? All right, well... Uh, usually I ask for for uh, permission to give more than one. I'm going to give you one, and it's going to be it's going to sound random, but that's okay. A gentleman by the name of Peter Thiel, activist investor, he mm-hmm. was on the front end of PayPal and some other stuff. I think he did some stuff with the Musks. Any anyhow, he he wrote a book called Zero to One. The book is about tech startups. Like, if you know me, I am the opposite of a techie. Like, I have trouble We're brothers. With, with Gmail. Like, I do. But I was encouraged to read this book. And let me go ahead and give you the cliff notes. He's talking about how we often create shinier versions of everything else. We often iterate our way to change. And in impact investing, in philanthropy, in fighting poverty... Iterating our our way to change is not going to be helpful to Sestina and Mary. We have got to disrupt the entire process and rethink it. And that book is a really powerful way to expand what might happen. How can we start thinking bigger and bolder about what it could look like? Good deal. It's on my list now. All right, if there was one quote that you could share with us today— what would it be? All right. Well, I'm going to quote uh, one of my mentors who I've never met, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I'll, I'll read the quote, and then I'll actually tell you why it matters to me. Dr. King, in, in one of his sermons, said, We are now faced with the fact, my friends, that tomorrow is today. We are confronted with the fierce urgency of now. In the unfolding conundrum of life and history, there is such a thing as being too late. Procrastination is still the thief of time. That's good. Back to Mary, back to Cecina. If we saw them as ourselves, we would have a sense of urgency that could change their lives and the lives of everybody around them. The fierce urgency of now. I like that. Last but not least, name one person who has significantly influenced your life, and in 30 seconds or less, tell us why and how. Yeah, so I'm going to tell you, uh, Ed, you might know my mentor, Tom Marino was my middle school mm-hmm. youth director, awesome. and he's done a bunch of things. I think he was an accountant for a while, and he currently runs a major foundation here in the area. And he's balanced and faithful and humble. And even though he is charged with allocating a tremendous amount of resources, the humble posture with which he does it makes people want to make him proud. That's unique. Yeah. So for your investors out there who are going to invest in a nonprofit, who already invest in a nonprofit, the way in which you do it can actually create a bigger return. Yep. And so he's my mentor, and I try and follow his model uh, of being both rigorous and really graceful. 
That's fantastic. So this has been incredibly practical today. And I'm, I mean, I can't overstate how grateful I am for you to join. If there was one thing you would want people to take away from this podcast, what would it be? Well, you know, I guess where my head is at is back in Dr. King's um, challenge to us. Don't wait. Inertia is real. You might hear this and move on to the next thing because life is busy. And in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, which we're currently in, it's even busier. Take action now, whatever that action is. Call Ed, figure it out, make a plan, and don't delay because it will be too late. And the impact that you could otherwise have will be sitting on the sidelines. And that's a travesty. That's great. Get off the bench, in other words. Um, If anybody wanted to find out more about Slingshot, uh, quiz you or some of your team, you've got a really talented team. Um, How would they go about doing that? Yeah, just a quick shout out to our team. You can see their names and their bios on our website, slingshotmemphis.org. You can learn more about our work. You can donate. We certainly uh, welcome uh, your capital. Uh, All of our costs are subsidized so that when we aggregate capital, we invest it 100% of every dollar into our portfolio of nonprofits fighting poverty based on performance based on need and so on. And we monitor it in a way that, Ed, you you help monitor the investments of your clients. And and we, we take that really, really serious. Um, and I'll say this, as you look at the bios of the, the board of directors and the, the team that drives this work, any good roadmap, any good blueprint is only as good as the people that drive it. And when you're looking for that combination of passion and execution, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you will never find it bigger and bolder than you will by way of Slingshot and the many growing nonprofits that we're fortunate to work alongside. That's high praise, and I would I would tend to agree with it. So there you have it, Justin Miller, the CEO of Slingshot Memphis. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being a leader and the impact field, and for being a catalyst. I would uh, remind our listeners, make sure you check out the Slingshot Memphis website. It's slingshotmemphis.org. You'll also, uh, like we've mentioned earlier, want to check out Justin's TED Talk, as well as his other articles and interviews online. edgillentine.com, which is our website, is also a really good resource for impact articles, white papers. we got a bunch of website links and books other resources that we genuinely hope will help you on your on your journey to impact. You'll find links to Slingshot Memphis as well as some of the other things they referenced in this episode by going to the show notes at edgillentine.com. That's E-D-G-I-L-L-E-N-T-I-N-E.com. We'll see you next time as we get back to our series on the basics of impact and consider your skills and why they're so important to your impact.